There was a knock one morning, a man was standing at my door. He said, hello, I'm from Halliburton, have you heard of us before? We'd like to lease your backyard to drill for natural gas. It's called hydraulic fracturing, and it is the very past for a clean energy future above the Marcellus Stone. Plus, we'll give you lots of money and a new mobile phone. I said, you are a corporate crook. I don't believe the things you tell, and you can drive right off my property and then go straight to hell. No fracking way. No fracking way. Corporate salesmen, whatever they may say, no fracking way, no fracking way, no fracking way, no fracking way, no fracking way. Welcome to Frack You Very Much, a fracking terrible podcast. That was David Rovix with No Fracking Way. You could find that entire song on Big Red Sessions. And we start off this episode with a piece from dailymail.co.uk. Hopes that fracking would rival North Sea gas have failed to materialize, according to the National Audit Office. David Cameron's government had predicted the development of a 33 billion pound industry with 64,500 jobs. The cabinet office said in 2016 that 20 wells would be in operation by mid-2020. But the NAO reported that only three had been drilled. Fracking or hydraulic fracturing sees water blasted into boreholes at high pressure to crack rocks and allow trapped gas to escape to the surface. All three wells have been made by Quadrilla at Preston New Road in Lancashire. Fracking has ceased there, however, after drilling triggered an earthquake that breached environmental regulations. Operators have complained that UK rules are stricter than in other countries, which would permit larger tremors than the 2.9 magnitude tremor at the Quadrilla site. The NAO report said ministers do not expect fracking to lead to lower energy prices. Instead, the emphasis is on, quote, energy security, with less reliance on foreign states and gas imports expected to rise as North Sea reserves run down. The NAO has said fracking has proved costly for local authorities and police forces, which manage protests at the sites. The report estimated that at least 32.7 million pounds has been spent by public bodies since 2011, although the full costs are not known. A combined bill of 13.4 million pounds has been picked up by Lancashire Constabulary, North Yorkshire Police and Nottinghamshire Police. The NAO said public support for fracking was lower than for other energy sources and has fallen over time. The government attributes the slow progress of fracking to low public acceptance. Concern about fracking operations centers around greenhouse gas emissions, groundwater pollution, and fracking-induced earthquakes. 
The report says landowners may be liable for the decommissioning costs of sites should an operator be unable to cover them, but arrangements are, quote, unclear and untested. Rebecca Long Bailey, Labor's Business and Energy Spokesman, condemned the fracking industry. Quote, the Tory Lib Dem coalition and now the Tory government have wasted millions pushing an industry that is unpopular across the UK and fiercely opposed locally, she said. Fracking threatens air and water quality and it contributes to the climate crisis. And as this report reveals, the government's plan for making fracking sites safe after they've been used is unclear and untested. Well, let me be crystal clear, Labour will ban fracking immediately. The NAO said the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy felt the climate change objectives could be met while developing fracking, but that the necessary technology was not yet ready. Jamie Peters, fracking campaigner at Friends of the Earth, said, quote, This is a quietly critical report that doesn't give fracking, the fracking industry any revived sense of hope. The NAO have several concerns, including the mark-your-own-homework approach to regulation and the lack of clarity over who should be responsible for cleanup costs if fracking ever gets going. Nothing has changed. Fracking isn't wanted. It's a failed industry, and the future is renewables and energy saving. And next up is a piece written by Jordan Davidson. This is published at ecowatch.com. Fracking study shows toxic chemical exposure 2,000 feet from drilling sites. The study concluded that people living within almost a half a mile radius of a fracking well have an increased risk of feeling the effects of chemical exposure through headaches, nausea, dizziness, nosebleeds, and respiratory trouble, according to the Denver Post. Until now, Colorado has had a 500-foot minimum distance that drilling wells can be from homes. The study found that in certain conditions, toxic chemicals like benzene, toluene, and ethyl toluenes can be up to 10 times the recommended levels at a 500-foot distance. As you move away from the fracking site, the chemicals dissipate, but could still be at unsafe levels at 2,000 feet away, as Newsweek reported. That takes into account only the chemicals that are known. Some chemicals used in the hydraulic fracturing process are trade secrets. As Newsweek reported, a recent study from the Partnership for Policy Integrity noted that natural gas drillers use a law that allows some of their chemicals to remain secretive. Quote, secret exposure to chemicals that our own EPA reports as potential hazard to human health is unconscionable, said Alan Lockwood, MD, of Physicians for Social Responsibility. Healthcare professionals can't possibly treat patients properly, make protective public health plans and decisions, and protect first responders without knowing what chemicals are in the environment. 
The CDPHE report strengthens Governor Jared Polis's argument that emissions from Colorado's powerful oil and gas industry need to be reined in. The finding also helps explain the complaints 750 residents living near oil and gas facilities made to the state's health department, said state toxicologist Christy Richardson, as the Denver Post reported. Around 60% of those complaints involve symptoms commensurate with chemical exposure, such as headaches, dizziness, and difficulty breathing. Computer modeling from the study is expected to help regulators set new standards for the minimum distance a drilling site can be from a home. Quote, this study is the first of its kind because it used actual emissions data to model potential exposure and health risks, said CDPHE Environmental Programs Director John Putnam, according to the Denver Post. While we pursue further research, we won't delay enacting stricter emission standards for chemicals that cause human effects, ozone pollution, and climate change. The study reinforces what we already know. We need to minimize emissions from oil and gas sources. State regulators insisted they would start to take a close look at all new applications for drilling within 2,000 feet of any residence and that they would start testing air emissions around industry wells. Community activists praised the findings and insisted that state lawmakers need to prioritize community health and rein in oil and gas industry pollution. Quote, dozens of children living in close proximity to oil and gas have already documented off-the-charts levels of benzene in their blood, said Colorado Rising spokeswoman Ann Lee Foster, as the Denver Post reported. Considering this and the corroborative data of the study, the state must pause oil and gas permitting and ensure that public health and safety is protected as new legislation mandates. And next up is a piece uh, also published on ecowatch.com, written by Justin Mikulka. Will the public end up paying to clean up the fracking boom? Increasingly, U.S. shale firms appear unable to pay back investors for the money borrowed to fuel the last decade of the fracking boom. In a similar vein, those companies also seem poised to stiff the public on cleanup costs for abandoned oil and gas wells once the producers have moved on. Quote, it's starting to become out of control and we want to rein this in, Bruce Hicks, assistant director of the North Dakota Oil and Gas Division, said in August about companies abandoning oil and gas wells. If North Dakota's regulators some of the most industry-friendly in the country are sounding the alarm, then that doesn't bode well for the rest of the nation. In fact, officials in North Dakota are using Pennsylvania as an example of what they want to avoid when it comes to abandoned wells, and with good reason. The first oil well drilled in America was in Pennsylvania in 1859, and the oil and gas industry has been drilling and abandoning wells there ever since. Pennsylvania's Department of Environmental Protection says that while it only 
has documentation of 8,000 orphaned and abandoned wells. It estimates the state actually has over half a million. We anticipate as many as 560,000 are in existence that we just don't know of yet. DEP spokesperson Laura Fraley told State Impact Pennsylvania. There's no responsible party, and so it's on state government to pay to have those potential environmental and public health hazards remediated. According to State Impact, the state considers any well that doesn't produce oil and gas for a calendar year to be an abandoned well. That first oil well drilled in Pennsylvania was 70 feet deep. Modern fracked wells, however, can be well over 10,000 feet in total length. Most new fracked wells are drilled vertically to a depth where they turn horizontal to fracture the shale that contains the oil and gas. Because the longer the total length of the well, the more it costs to clean up. The funding required to properly clean up and cap wells has grown as drillers have continued to use new technologies to greatly extend well lengths. Evidence from the federal government points to the potential for these costs being shifted to the taxpaying public. The Government Accounting Office released a report this September about the risks from insufficient bonds to reclaim wells on public lands. It said, quote, the bonds operators provide as insurance are often not enough to cover the costs of this cleanup. The report cited a Bureau of Land Management official's estimate of $10 a foot for well cleanup costs. State Impact Pennsylvania noted that costs to reclaim a well could add up to $20,000, and DEP spokesperson Fraley said they could be much, much higher. The GAO report noted that low-cost wells typically cost about $20,000 to reclaim, and high-cost wells typically cost about $145,000 to reclaim. In North Dakota, where state regulators have raised concerns about this growing problem, one of the top industry regulators, State Mineral Resources Director Lynn Helms, estimated that wells there cost $150,000 to plug and reclaim. And this problem isn't just in the U.S. Canada is facing a similar cleanup crisis. Financial bonding requirements for well cleanup. Legally, oil and gas companies are required to set aside money to pay for well cleanup costs, a process known as bonding. These requirements vary by state and for public lands, but in all cases the amounts required are so small as to be practically irrelevant. The GAO report reviewed the bonds held by the Bureau of Land Management for wells on public lands and found that the average bond per well in 2018 was worth $2,122. The Western Organization of Resource Councils summarized bonding requirements by state and none of them came even close to being adequate to cover estimated costs to deal with old wells. In North Dakota, a $50,000 bond is required for a well, but a $100,000 bond can cover up to six wells, which comes out to $16,667 per well, or approximately one-tenth of the estimated cost to reclaim a well in that state. So no wonder they're abandoning them.
it's just a hell of a lot cheaper to abandon it and and let the the state use the uh, the bond money, which isn't enough, to do the cleanup, than to actually do the cleanup and pay for it in full. North Dakota has a history of bending to oil and gas industry pressure when it comes to regulations. While North Dakota's bonding rules fall far short of what's needed to actually cover full cleanup costs, the reality on the ground is much worse. Regulators allow companies to, quote, temporarily abandon wells, which requires no action from companies for at least seven years. Wells can hold this temporary status for decades. And another practice in the state allows a company to sell old, underperforming wells to another company, passing along the liability, but not the bonding funds. By any measure, the amount of private money currently allocated in the U.S. to plug and reclaim oil and gas wells is a small fraction of the real costs. That means oil and gas wells in the U.S. had 1 million active wells in 2017, and even more abandoned, will either be left to fail and potentially contaminate the surrounding water, air, and soil, or the public will have to pick up the tab. This represents just one of the many ways the public subsidizes the oil and gas industry. A South Dakota case study. South Dakota allows companies to post a $30,000 bond for as many wells as the company chooses to drill. Spyglass Cedar Creek is a Texas-based company that was operating in South Dakota and recently abandoned 40 wells, which the state has estimated will have a cleanup cost of $1.2 million. However, there is a twist to this story. That $30,000 bond doesn't really exist. The owners of the company had put $20,000 of it into a certificate of deposit. But when the state went looking for that money, the owners said they had cashed it in 2015 because, as reported by the Rapid City Journal, quote, company officials did not remember what the money was for. Spyglass Cedar Creek does not have the money set aside that was required to clean up these wells. The state does not have recourse to get that money, and some of the wells are reportedly leaking. So what can be done? According to Doyle Carpen, member of the South Dakota Board of Minerals and Environment, the answer is for the taxpayer of that state to cover the cost. Quote, I think the only way we can correct this is to go to the legislature and ask for money. <clears throat> what is starting to unfold with the oil and gas industry is very similar to what has already been playing out with the U.S. coal industry. According to a Center for Public Integrity investigation, more than 150 coal mines and dozens of uranium mines have been allowed to idle indefinitely, enabling their owners to avoid paying for the costs of cleanup. In April, the Stanford Law Review published the paper, Bankruptcy as Bailout, Coal Company Insolvency and the Erosion of Federal Law, which notes that almost half the coal mined in the U.S. is done so by companies that have recently declared bankruptcy. The paper notes how the bankruptcy process is used by coal companies to rid themselves of environmental cleanup liabilities and pension costs. Quote, 
in a manner that has eviscerated the regulatory schemes that gave rise to those obligations. Yet coal company executives often receive healthy bonuses even as they are driving companies into bankruptcy. This summer, Black Jewel famously failed to pay its coal miners and even pulled funds out of their bank accounts after the company suddenly declared bankruptcy in July. That prompted workers to sit on train tracks in Kentucky, blocking a $1 million shipment of coal in a two-month protest. And Black Jewel is poised to leave behind thousands of acres of mined land in Appalachia without adequate reclamation. Privatize the profits, socialize the losses. It is the standard procedure, the SOP, standard operating procedure of many major, major corporations. The mineral extraction business model in the U.S. is set up to maximize profits for executives, even as they lose investor money and bankrupt their companies. That is true of the coal industry and that is true of the shale oil and gas industry. At the same time, the regulatory capture by these industries at both the state and federal levels allows private companies to pass on environmental cleanup costs to the public, and the inadequate bonding system for oil and gas well reclamation represents just one more example. The so-called fracking revolution in America has resulted in many new records. Record amounts of U.S. oil and gas exported. New levels of human health impacts on surrounding communities. Record numbers of industry-induced earthquakes. Record amounts of flaring natural gas in oil and gas fields. And record-breaking depths and lengths of wells. And the cleanup costs for the fracking boom are also poised to be staggering. And next up is a piece by Yuki Goni and published in TheGuardian.com. Indigenous Mapuche pay high price for Argentina's fracking dream. The roar of the burning gas well could be heard almost a mile and a half away from atop the high plateau where Albino Campo Marpe stood looking down at the orange flames lapping the earth in the distance. When he was a child, the 60-year-old Mapuche chief used to ride there bareback. Those days are gone forever. The once pristine landscape is now dotted with fracking wells and the white patches of land cleared for even more. The panoramic view is nonetheless overpowering. Two crystal blue lakes whose far shores blend with the horizon cling to the edge of an arid and wind-buffeted Martian landscape of red sandstone, rugged promontories, and wide beaches. The ancient and spectacular rock formations of Necuan province in Argentina's Patagonia region are a paleontologist's dream rich with dinosaur fossils. But the image quickly fades to the sight and sound of the fracking well that exploded on 14 September and burned continuously for 24 days, spewing hot gas and other elements into the air 
from nearly two miles below ground. The raging fire was finally put out on Monday by a team of experts who flew from Houston with 56 tons of special equipment. Quote, this shouldn't be happening, Campo Maripe said, but these are the consequences of fracking. Fracking accidents happen regularly in Vaca Muerta, one of the world's largest shale oil and gas reservoirs. In 2018 alone, there were an estimated 934 incidents at 95 wells. There have been leaks from drilling sites and claims from local people of water pollution and increased ill health affecting them and their livestock. For Argentina's leaders, there is a bigger picture. They believe the shale reservoir can rescue the country from its ongoing economic crisis. Quote, this province will transform us into a world power, the president Mauricio Macri said on Tuesday to a crowd of 3,000 people in Nuquen, referencing, referring to the nearly 2,000 fracking wells that have been drilled there since the discovery of the deposits was announced in 2011. Twenty companies own a total of 36 concessions in Vaca Muerta, covering a combined area of about 8,000 500 square kilometers. The Argentine oil company YPF leads the pack with 23 areas, of which 16 are operational, in partnership with the U.S. firm Chevron. For the environmentalist Maristela Svampa, the promise that Vaca Muerta could turn Argentina into a new Saudi Arabia is a myth, like that of El Dorado, the city of gold the Spanish conquistadors search for in South America. It's, a, it's the magical illusion of sudden wealth, she said. Nuquen's indigenous Mapuche people claim Vaca Muerta has brought them not wealth, but discrimination, dispossession, and health problems. The Campo Maripe community comprising about 125 people among 35 families is one of more than 40 Mapuche communities in Nuquen. When we went to school, the other students would yell, here come the Indians, says Mabel Campo Maripe, 52, who shares community chief duties with her brother Albino. Those same people today refuse to accept we are Mapuches because that would give us a right to our land. They say the denial of their cultural identity is being used by the Nuquen authorities to refuse the Campo Maripe community legal rights over the Loma Campania Plateau, where they say they have grazed their cattle and goats for nearly a century. Pockmarked with close to 500 fracking wells that have sprung up in the past seven years, the plateau is the center of the fracking boom. Summer temperatures reach 40 degrees centigrade, 104 degrees Fahrenheit. In the winter, they dip to minus 14 centigrade. There are no trees, only sparse shrubs that provide subsistence pasture for the cattle and goats of the Campo Maripe community. The oil companies entered our land without our permission, claims the elder Campo Maripe. The fracking wells took a quick toll on their animals, he says. We had goats born without jaws, without mouths. In 2014, the community began blocking the access roads used by oil company trucks to reach the Loma Campania Plateau. First, we blocked the road for two weeks, then for 48 days, 
and then again for another 48 days, says Campo Maripe. They occupied fracking towers and even the YPF offices in the capital city of Nuquen. Finally, an agreement was reached for a special committee consisting of government and Mapuche-appointed experts to determine the community's claim on about 17,000 hectares in and around Loma Campania. We were able to determine that the Campo Maripe clan has occupied the land continually since at least 1927, when they started paying pasture rights to the national government, said Jorhelina Villarreal, an, an anthropologist who formed part of the committee. We found government records, even an army map, that show they were the first recorded settlers of Loma Campania. But in 2015, the authorities refused to accept the committee's findings. The then governor, Jorge Sapag, said the report failed to prove the community had inhabited the area in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, and therefore their claim to the plateau was invalid. He said, quote, the plateau belongs to the province. Villarreal said, quote, his reasoning is ridiculous. Argentina didn't even exist in the 17th and 18th centuries, but the Mapuches were already here. The authorities offered the clan the title deed to a mere 700 hectares. The offer was refused. Oil companies say they are trying to work with the indigenous communities, but YPF pointed to the 2015 ruling and reiterated, Campo Maripe has never inhabited the extensive land they are claiming for. A spokesman said, quote, their houses and cultural or productive activities are several kilometers away from YPF and Chevron's operations. Nevertheless, the community still claims they should have rights on the lands where the YPF and Chevron operate. The oil companies say their work does not contaminate water sources because it occurs 3,000 meters below ground, while the water tables at a depth of only 200 meters. But Campo Maripe claims the problem is not seepage from below, but from above. They drilled about 400 wells contaminating everything. They dug pits next to the wells where they dumped the waste without any treatment and threw limestone on it to cover it up. We lost our best land. Albino, Mabel, and other family members say they have suffered a multitude of health problems since the fracking began. One of our sisters and her husband died of cancer in 2017, says Mabel. The fracking has affected our bones, which become decalcified. I had to have a titanium spine implant. Another sister also needs one. Albino had an operation on his arm because of, a bone, lo because of bone loss. Both siblings claim doctors have privately told them the cause is contamination from the wells. Quote, they are scared to talk, says Mabel. She says one worried doctor asked her, are you recording me? Last year, the grandson of another sister was born with his intestines outside his body. They had to operate on him to put them in, says Mabel. Then there are the permanent headaches and the smell. On hot, windy days, the fields smell like a petrol station. The Guardian asked YPF about the fears of contamination and possible health impacts, including claims of cancer, respiratory ailments, and skin lesions. It denied there was a problem. 
At YPF, we are committed to operate with the highest standards. Operational excellence is key, and we work permanently to improve and implement solutions that minimize the potential impacts that our activity could generate, it said. In the special case of Loma Campania, the area we develop in partnership with Chevron, no incidents of any kind have been recorded since the beginning of operations in 2013. The arrival of waste disposal contractors has brought a separate set of problems. A Greenpeace team took samples from the open-air waste pits on Loma Campania and released the results to the Mapuche Confederation of Nuquen, which last October opened a lawsuit against the Treater Waste Disposal Plant, alleging that Treater had handled waste for many of the fossil fuel companies mining in the area. Quote, we are concerned about leakage from the waste pits into the ground as well as by the wind carrying volatile particles into the air from the mountains of waste above the pools, says Natalia Machain, executive director of Greenpeace Argentina, which joined the lawsuit as a plaintiff this year. Treater has denied any contamination. Quote, we are not a waste dump. We are an environmental services company that treats waste from the oil industry. But the Nuquen legislator Santiago Noguera is pressing for waste management laws because he says, quote, the province does not have enough capacity to process the amount of waste generated by Vaca Muerta. Treater is only one of many open-air waste pits dotted across Vaca Muerta. A large mound rises above the Com Comarsa waste plant about four miles outside Nuquen. Closed by the authorities because of its proximity to a large urban area, the plant no longer receives waste, but bulldozers are constantly at work, turning over the mounds of earth on its grounds. Sections of the cement containment wall around the plant have collapsed. Quote, there are over 300,000 cubic meters of waste still piled at Comarsa, said Noguera. The whole waste treatment system is insufficient. Vaca Muerta has yet to prove its economic viability. Experts say the government's expectations are hampered by the high cost of fracking in Argentina and the lack of an adequate gas transport and waste disposal infrastructure aggravated by a shaky economy. The country has spent billions of dollars in direct handouts to lure investors. Quote, oil companies aren't extracting hydrocarbons from Vaca Muerta, they're extracting subsidies says Enrique Viale, an environmental lawyer and anti-fracking campaigner. The subsidies are ultimately unaffordable for Argentina, according to a report released in March by the Cleveland-based Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis. In January, the International Monetary Fund, which had put together a $57 billion bailout for Argentina in 2018, demanded a trimming of the subsidies. The industry responded with layoffs, the threat of lawsuits against the government, and production cuts. Quote, the abrupt reduction in Argentina's production subsidy program is shaking investor confidence, the report states. However grim the outlook for the oil and gas companies, it is the Mapuche indigenous people who are bearing the highest cost for Argentina's dream of a fracking bonanza. Quote, as Mapuches, we're not fighting for just ourselves and our community, says Albino Campo Maripe. We want our children and grandchildren to know that we fought for something that belongs to everyone.
Water is life. Every plant is life. The greed of governments is killing the world. The world is not going to end. We are going to end because we're killing ourselves. And across the Pacific, similar things are going on in Western Australia. This piece is by Nick Rodway and is published by aljazeera.com. The Dampier Peninsula in the remote Kimberley region of Western Australia, Australia's largest state, is internationally renowned for its natural wilderness areas and as the home to the world's oldest continuing culture. Recently, the peninsula, which sits upon the immense Canning Basin Gas Reserve, has been the subject of a vigorous environmental debate. Last month, the Western Australia government officially lifted a statewide moratorium on hydrofracturing or fracking technology two years after it commissioned an independent scientific inquiry into the process. Fracking, a controversial mining method, involves injecting a high-pressure fluid of sand, water, and chemicals into a drilled well to free natural gas from rocks deep underground. While widespread across the United States, it is banned in some countries, including France, due to links between seismic activity and water contamination. The release of Western Australia's independent inquiry last November resulted in the government enforcing a ban on fracking across 98% of the state's land mass. It also prompted a series of government commitments that were described by State Premier Mark McGowan at the time as, quote, world class, as they appeared to set a precedent for future government dealings with traditional owners. Traditional owners were to be afforded greater autonomy over whether mining could take place on their lands in the form of a, quote, right of consent. This is a right not currently enshrined in Australian legislation, where under the seminal 1993 Native Title Act, NTA, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are only entitled to negotiate over industrial development. Additionally, the state government promised that the Dampier Peninsula would be exempt from fracking in spite of its proximity to the Canning Basin. The specific boundaries covering the Dampier Peninsula ban would be, quote, developed in consultation with the local community. In less than a year, the uh, Western Australia government appears to have backtracked on these commitments, raising concerns that it has promised what it cannot deliver. In July, with the publication of Fracking Implementation Plan, it was reported that the traditional owner's, quote, right of consent would not apply to exploration applications. The state's Minister for Mines and Petroleum, Bill Johnston, told Al Jazeera that this was because fracking exploration involved a less intensive process compared with extraction. Quote, the impacts of fracking during the production stage are orders of magnitudes greater than the impacts occurring during the exploration stage, Johnson said. It's also not possible to know what will be found during exploration. Now the state government stands accused of consulting with mining companies, but not the broader community in establishing the exact boundaries of the Dampier Peninsula ban. 
At the beginning of September, Western Australia's Department of Mining and Petroleum released a map of exploitable areas of the Dampier Peninsula, which closely correlate with existing petroleum titles. One of the holders of these titles, a mineral company, Buru Energy, subsequently issued a press release outlining that it had, quote, worked constructively with the state government to ensure the boundaries of the fracking zone were appropriate, quote, in relation to the company's existing petroleum titles. Buru Energy was contacted for comment but did not respond. Premier McGowan has since conceded in a radio interview on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation that a major influence on where the boundary was drawn was concerned that the state could be subjected to compensation claims from existing leaseholders. Martin Pritchard, the director of local environmental NGO Environs Kimberley, told Al Jazeera that in contrast, there had been no consultation with stakeholders in the wider Kimberley community. Quote, we were very concerned when the McGowan government backtracked on its commitment to grant veto rights to traditional owners with regard to exploration leases, Pritchard said. Now we're seeing Premier McGowan break another promise by consulting mining companies about the fracking ban on the Dampier Peninsula, but not the local community. We consider this a betrayal of his commitment to the people of Western Australia. At least one affected traditional owner group was also not consulted. In a media statement provided to Al Jazeera, the Wallalakalu, nope, I'll eventually get this, Wallalaku Aboriginal Corporation, WAC, outlined that the Dampier Peninsula fracking ban boundaries were defined, quote, without formal consultation with the Nayakina. Mangala people. The WAC holds and manages on a trust the native title rights and interests of the Nayakina Mangala traditional owners, which fall partly in the southeastern portion of the Dampier Peninsula. The Nayakina Mangala people are disappointed that the definition of the boundaries has occurred without formal consultation, the statement reads. Quote, we are also disappointed that we were not provided the opportunity to propose that the National Heritage listed area of the Fitzroy River be included in the state's fracking ban area. However, this is refuted by the government department responsible for the fracking implementation plan. Jeff Hayworth, Western Australia's Department of Mines, Industry, Regulation and Safety Acting Deputy Director General, told Al Jazeera that, quote, Information regarding the boundary for hydraulic fracturing stimulation on the Dampier Peninsula has been provided to effective native title claimants and native title holders. Yeah, that doesn't mean they were consulted. With such a central element of implementation plan in dispute, questions are now being asked as to whether the government's central commitment, the right of consent, may also be compromised or diluted. There is currently no definitive answer as to how the government plans to enforce the commitment, with Johnston telling Al Jazeera that, quote, a number of options are currently being examined by the implementation group on the best way to give farmers and traditional owners the right to say no to fracking. 
However, native title expert Greg McIntyre, a professor and barrister, told Al Jazeera that, currently leg that current legislation does not prevent the state from giving native title parties more say than they have under the Native Title Act. Because the state is granting the title to extract oil and gas, it can decide what preconditions it will impose on extraction under license it may choose to grant, McIntyre said. That could include that native title holders agree to extraction, thus giving them a veto over extraction. The state could amend state legislation to allow for such a veto, or could possibly adopt a policy that will exercise its discretion not to grant a license if native title holders do not consent to such a grant being made. The Dampier Peninsula community is sure to be watching the state government's next move closely. And this piece is published by Cron.com, C-H-R-O-N.com. A new study from the University of Texas at Austin is blaming hydraulic fracturing activity on some earthquakes in the Permian Basin of West Texas. In a study released Tuesday afternoon, scientists with the TexNet Seismic Monitoring Program reported that some earthquakes in Reeves, Picos, and Culberson counties may be caused by hydraulic fracturing, a process of injecting water, sand, and chemicals deep underground to unlock oil and natural gas reserves in shale geologic formations. Previous studies had blamed the earthquakes in oil-producing regions across the state on saltwater disposal wells, which inject wastewater from drilling hydraulic fracturing and production activities deep underground. Quote, the research done through this new study in West Texas, using a statistical approach to associate seismicity with oil and gas operations, suggests that some seismicity is more likely related to hydraulic fracturing than saltwater disposal, Alexandros Savadis, a research scientist and manager of the TexNet Seismic Monitoring Program, said in a statement. So far this year, TexNet seismographs have recorded 209 earthquakes across the Lone Star State, with the strongest documented as 3.8 magnitude near Snyder on October 1. The number of earthquakes recorded this year have already outpaced the 192 earthquakes recorded by TexNet in 2018. Saltwater disposal wells are regulated by the Railroad Commission of Texas, the state agency that regulates the oil and natural gas industry. Railroad Commission officials adopted stricter regulations for saltwater disposal wells in November 2014. Over the last five years, the agency has received 657 disposal well applications in areas of historic seismicity. Of those proposed projects, 302 permits were issued with special conditions that include reducing maximum daily injection volumes and pressures, as well as being required to record volumes and pressures on a daily basis as opposed to monthly. Applications for 91 disposal sites were returned or withdrawn. Another 82 applications were sent to hearing, while 25 permits were issued without special conditions, and 157 applications are pending technical review.
And finally, a piece from publicintegrity.org. Sixty years after his service in the Army, Jesse Eakin still completes his outfits with a pin that bears a lesson from the Korean War. Never impossible. That maxim has been tested by a low-grade but persistent threat far different than the kind Eakin encountered in Korea. Well water that's too dangerous to drink. It gives off a strange odor and bears a yellow tint. It carries sand that clogs faucets in the home Eakin shares with his wife Shirley here in southwestern Pennsylvania. The Eakins told the State Environmental Agency about their bad water nearly seven years ago and hoped for a quick resolution. Like thousands of others who live in the natural gas-rich Marcellus Shale, however, they learned their hopes were misplaced. Today the state is still testing their water. The results of those tests will dictate whether a gas exploration and production company is held responsible for providing them with a clean supply. Meanwhile, the Eakins drink donated bottled water and in late 2014 began paying for deliveries of city water to avoid showering in contaminants such as lead and manganese. Since 2007, at least 2,800 water-related complaints have been investigated by the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection's oil and gas program. Officials found ties to the drilling industry in 279. Another 500 or so cases, including the Eakins, are open. While regulators try to catch up to natural gas exploration, some residents of the state have gone months, even years, without access to clean water at their homes. Responding to a public records request by Center for Public Integrity, the Department of Environmental Protection, or DEP, provided data on 1,840 complaints lodged since 2010. More than half took longer than the agency's target of 45 days to resolve. Almost one in 10 took more than a year. The state's often plotting responses left hundreds of rural Pennsylvania scrambling to pay for water deliveries, seek remedies in court, take out second mortgages, or even abandon their homes. Complaints filed with the DEP reveal people's fear and frustration. In 2011, a Butler County resident reported that her previously crystal clear water had turned brown and rusty looking with a terrible odor. In 2013, someone a few miles away complained of drinking water that, quote, feels slimy and causes his or her skin to break out. Last October, a Westmoreland County father of five wanted to know whether his water was safe to drink. It had begun staining the bathtub and, quote, didn't smell like normal water should smell like. He's still waiting for the results of the DEP investigation. If the past is any guide, the family may drink the malodorous water for months before finding out whether it's contaminated and whether the gas drilling technique known as hydraulic fracturing or fracking that swept the Marcellus a decade ago had anything to do with it. As of late June, the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection had issued nearly 300, quote, 
positive determination letters informing residents that their water had been contaminated by oil and gas activity. Even if the DEP determines that there is a court connection, relief may prove unsatisfying or slow to come. In each of the dozen households interviewed for this story that received, quote, positive determination letters from the state, people were still dealing with the burdens of water contamination. Some who have the energy and resources are seeking compensation in court, while others accept endless supplies of bottled water or filtration systems without knowing when or if their well water or property values will return to what they once were. After Texas, Pennsylvania produces the most natural gas in the United States. It also has the second highest number of private water wells behind Michigan with about 3.5 million users. Meanwhile, it's one of only two states without regulations for private well construction. Fracking took hold here years before its potential health impacts were considered. The extent of these impacts remains unknown. The Pennsylvania Department of Health only began pulling residents' health complaints into a registry this year. The DEP didn't establish protocols for gas-related water investigations until 2015. It's still building a computerized system for tracking the results of such investigations. Quote, What I tell people is, don't think that there's somebody up there in Harrisburg watching out for you, because they're not said David Brown, an environmental health scientist at the nonprofit Southwest Pennsylvania Environmental Health Project. That's a pretty sobering message, and it's not one I would think I would give in many states but Pennsylvania. In 2011, the state began requiring gas companies to report certain complaints from residents who often called the local driller instead of the DEP. Between the complaints that never reach the agency and its inconsistency in recording the ones that do, however, the DEP is unable to provide a complete tally. Residents have the option of closing DEP complaints and settling them privately with gas companies, but the agency doesn't systematically track those settlements, which are often accompanied by non-disclosure agreements. The public is left in the dark. In 2014, Pennsylvania's Auditor General Eugene DePascal found that the DEP's handling of water complaints from 2009 through 2012 was, quote, a serious impediment to complaints quality of life, complainants' quality of life, and called its documentation egregiously poor. The agency disagreed with all of his findings. In a recent interview with the Center for Public Integrity, De Pasquale said that the DEP is headed in the right direction, but has far to go. Low-income Pennsylvanians with water problems are being left to fend for themselves way too many times, he said. That's beyond not having a good technology to track complaints. It's ignoring your duty as public officials. The Center for Public Integrity has sought interviews with DEP officials since January. None was granted. The DEP is close to finalizing rules on gas drilling, quote, that strengthen the protections for water supplies, Perry wrote. The rules would ban disposal pits, which can contaminate groundwater and impose more stringent requirements for water supply replacement. 
At a panel discussion last year, Perry acknowledged the department's regulation of oil and gas has been a work in progress. Quote, the Pennsylvania DEP is really an international leader in managing the potential environmental impacts of oil and gas development, he said. We certainly did not start that way. We have nonetheless risen to these challenges and modernized our regulations across the board. The agency has toughened standards for gas drilling, increased its number of inspectors, and boosted permitting fees, Perry said. But the DEP is struggling with a shrinking budget, outdated technology, and a divided General Assembly. Last month, the department's secretary, John Quigley, resigned following the release of an email he'd sent to several environmental groups accusing them of weak support for oil and gas regulations that had been rejected by lawmakers the day before. Quote, where were you people yesterday, Quigley wrote. The House and Senate hold Russian show trials on vital environmental issues, and there's no pushback at all from the environmental community. The natural gas industry wields considerable influence in Pennsylvania from 2014 through 2015. It contributed $2.7 million to political campaigns in the state and spent about $17.5 million lobbying, according to a new report released by Common Cause Pennsylvania and Conservation Voters of Pennsylvania. Top spenders included the Marcellus Shale Coalition, an industry group, which gave $7.4 million to lobbyists and Range Resources, a gas exploration and production company, which gave $1.7 million. In a news release, Josh McNeil of the Voters Group blamed, quote, corrosive ties between fossil fuel interests and legislators for the recent disruption of longstanding efforts to create cleaner air and water for the people of Pennsylvania. Around 2005, energy companies began drilling natural gas wells into America's vast shale deposits. New technology, fracking, had made dislodging gas from ancient underground rock formations feasible on a large scale. The process involves pumping millions of gallons of water, sand, and chemicals deep into the earth at high pressure to break apart the rock and release the gas. While operators extracted enough gas to make the United States one of the world's leading energy producers, they were still perfecting certain parts of the process. How to construct a well so gas wouldn't escape underground, for instance, or how to safely dispose of chemical-infused wastewater. Research into fracking's health and environmental effects was slow in coming. Relatively few papers were published before 2013. By that time, Pennsylvania had issued permits for nearly 11,000 wells in the Marcellus Shale and had investigated at least 1,600 water supply complaints, concluding that almost none had ties to fracking. After their water went bad in 2009, the Eakins noticed rashes and mold-like flesh-colored growths on their skin that seemed to pop up after showers. Their legs felt heavy. They stopped planting their annual garden in 2011 because the fruits and vegetables died right after they were watered. Quote, it just ruined everything. The whole life, said Shirley. When the Eakins complained about their water to Atlas Energy, the company that had begun fracking in the park uphill from their home, they knew little of the Marcellus, which encompasses 95,000 square miles in New York 
Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and Maryland, or the estimated 85 trillion cubic feet of natural gas trapped within it. As it turned out, the three-bedroom house they built in 1978 in a remote part of Washington County, 30 miles southwest of Pittsburgh, rested atop what would become one of the most heavily drilled parts of the country. Their water was never tested for fracking-related contaminants until sand began to clog their faucets. The DEP is still testing to determine whether their water may have been affected by gas drilling. In a letter to the Eakins last fall, the agency said contaminant levels kept fluctuating, making it difficult to reach a conclusion. An Atlas spokesman said the company uses the best practices in the industry, but would not comment on any alleged environmental or property damage because of pending litigation by people other than the Eakins. Among the dozen or so houses in the Eakins neighborhood known as Re or Rhea, water quality differs from address to address. Residents of at least nine homes have stopped drinking water from their wells. One, Jeannie Moten, is certain fracking tainted her well water and led to her father's premature death from heart failure. The well no longer functions. It collapsed one too many times after the gas drilling began, and her disability income won't cover the cost of a new one. One time, Moten said, she was standing in line at a restaurant behind an industry worker who was talking about Rhea's environmental problems. She heard him say that with only 15 homes, the community wasn't worth worrying about. Quote, we've been feeling like nobody since 2009, she said. There's no shortage of cases like Moten's and the Eakins across the state. People notice their water quality suddenly change and see a correlation with oil or gas drilling in their area. News outlets do stories on brown, bubbly water, but the DEP rarely finds proof of a connection. The buzz dies down. Clean water doesn't come. Ben Groover sold his motorcycle and pickup truck to raise the $15,000 he needed to connect his home in Fayette County, 60 miles southeast of the Eakins, to a municipal water line in 2010. Groover's water well was 2,400 feet from a gas well drilled by Atlas Energy. Company records show the well was fracked on February 3, 2010, the same day. Groover filed a complaint with the DEP saying his sink and toilets were filled with brown muck. Groover, who had signed an agreement with Atlas allowing it to pipe gas across his land, had his water tested before the drilling started. Tests afterwards showed that levels of a few contaminants commonly associated with fracking, suspended solids, iron, and manganese, had gone up. At the time, Pennsylvania law said gas companies were only presumed responsible for water pollution within 1,000 feet of a well. Groover was out of luck. Even though scientists from Penn State University sampled his water in 2011 and concluded that it showed, quote, potential impact from disturbance related to drilling or some other nearby activity. The following year, the law was updated. Gas wells drilled within 2,500 feet of a water supply that went bad would now be presumed responsible for the damage. 
Groover's well likely would have fallen into this category, meaning Atlas would have been required to fix the problem. Groover said he filed multiple complaints with the DEP in an attempt to hold Atlas responsible, but his calls and emails to the agency had no effect. Quote, I have less respect for the DEP than I do the gas industry, he said. He never got clean water from either the company or the state. He and several neighbors have filed a lawsuit against Atlas and other gas companies operating in the area. In its answer to the complaint, Atlas said it was not liable for the alleged injuries and damages. Any problems that occurred, quote, were the result of unavoidable circumstances beyond the control of Atlas, which could not have been reasonably foreseen or prevented by any person or entity, the company said. A spokesman for the Marcella Shale Coalition declined to be interviewed for this article. In a recent blog post, however, the group said that, quote, Natural gas development in Pennsylvania is governed by modern, tight regulations that, in addition to the industry's commitment to best practices, strengthen our environment and protect local communities. In another post, the coalition noted that state-imposed fee on natural gas has generated more than $1 billion since 2011. Quote, these critical revenues are sent directly to local governments, which allows those closest to the development to invest in infrastructure improvements and community programs, the group's Dave Spiegelmeyer is quoted as saying. The number of oil and gas industry jobs in Pennsylvania increased by more than 15,000 during the boom years from 2007 through 2012, though a recent drop in gas prices has moved companies to downsize. The number of active rigs in the state has dropped by more than half in the past year, though increasingly efficient gas extraction techniques have sent production to new highs. Scientists are still unraveling how and under what circumstances fracking can affect water. In Pennsylvania, methane or other impurities are sometimes present before drilling occurs, making things difficult for investigators. A 2012 Penn State study found, for example, that 40% of wells tested before fracking contained at least one contaminant above safe limits. Rob Jackson, a professor of environmental earth systems science at Stanford University, has been investigating possible ties between fracking and poor water quality since 2009, when he and his colleagues realized that no peer-reviewed papers on the topic had been published. When Jackson's team released the results of studies showing evidence of such links in, the, in Pennsylvania and Texas, it quickly felt backlash from the industry. When the team found no correlation in Arkansas, environmentalists were dismissive. Quote, it really depends on what we say, and always someone is unhappy with our conclusions. His work suggests that fracking impacts only a fraction of water supplies. In those cases, there is, quote, very strong evidence of a connection, Jackson said. Yet people whose water has been blighted can't get anyone to listen. A 2016 analysis of 58 water quality studies by PSE Healthy Energy, an environmental research and policy group that has received funding from the Heinz Endowments, found that 69% showed an association between fracking-related activities and water contamination. 
Most air quality studies reviewed indicated elevated risks from gas drilling as well. The study's lead author, Jake Hayes, wanted to assess the state of science, knowing much of it remains unsettled. Quote, Unfortunately, he said, that's in many ways paralyzed actual action on the issues. It also makes things hard for doctors who treat people living near drilling operations. Dr. Pune Saberi, an assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Perlman School of Medicine, who also serves on PSE Healthy Energies Advisory Council, trains doctors to ask such patients about fracking-related exposures. Quote, the true prevalence of health symptoms is way underestimated, Saberi said, because many of those conversations aren't happening. Patients often hesitate to talk about their experiences. It's like, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy. Some residents of the Woodlands area of Conoquenessing Township, north of Pittsburgh, can relate. The township runs a weekly water drive funded by donations because about 45 households have found their water unsuitable to drink since 2011. There are 65 gas wells within two and a half miles of the neighborhood. Resident Kim McAvoy allowed her home to go into foreclosure and moved away from the woodlands because of her black, foamy water. Every day for more than six months, she and her then-fiancé would fill 30 one-gallon jugs at work or friends' houses so they could cook and shower. Every morning you woke up, you thought about, where am I going to get water today, McAvoy said. She underwent therapy to deal with her anxiety and depression. At least eight families in the woodlands are suing the gas driller Rex Energy and its contractors. Rex Energy, which initially provided some families with water after they complained, did not respond to interview requests from the Center for Public Integrity. In 2012, a spokesman told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that, quote, a battery of tests performed by experts had concluded that natural gas development had not affected water quality. The DEP investigated 12 complaints from the Woodlands made within a year and found no ties to fracking in any of the cases. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency says it has limited ability to help private well owners when their water degrades. The EPA doesn't regulate such wells. It is barred from enforcing federal drinking water standards when fracking is involved, unless the contaminant is diesel, as per a provision in the 2005 Energy Policy Act. Damn it, who are the assholes to pass legislation like this? The exemption codified a 2004 finding by the EPA that national regulation was not necessary. At the time, Vice President Dick Cheney, former CEO of Halliburton, an oil field services company that pioneered the use of fracking, was in charge of energy policy for the White House. Oh, well, that answers that question, prompting critics to dub the provision the Halliburton loophole. One tool the agency does not does have when local officials have not acted is Section 1431 Emergency Powers of the Safe Drinking Water Act. It's the legal authority the EPA used, albeit belatedly, after the lead crisis in Flint, Michigan came to light in 2015. All told, the EPA has issued 228 orders under Section 1431 since 1991. 
forcing polluters to address, quote, situations where there may be an imminent and substantial endangerment. In 2010, the EPA used this authority against a gas company for the first and only time. Range Resources, a major presence in the Marcellus, was accused of fouling two water wells near Fort Worth, Texas, with benzene, methane, propane, and toluene. Range said the contaminants were naturally occurring and sued the EPA. The EPA ultimately dropped the four orders it had issued against the company, saying it wanted to avoid a costly legal battle and that the affected families had been switched to an alternate water supply. Range Resources agreed to monitor wells in the area and participate in a national EPA study of fracking's effects on water. As it turned out, the company didn't have a role in the study. In 2012, the EPA also tested water wells in the heavily drilled northeastern Pennsylvania town of Dimmick after receiving complaints about brown, sometimes flammable water. It said the water was safe to drink, though. It said the water was safe to drink, though in 2016, the Federal Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, part of the CDC and Center for Disease Control and Prevention, reported that chemical levels in at least 27 wells during a six-month period in 2012 were, quote, high enough to affect health. The DEP ordered Cabot Oil and Gas, which operated in the area, to compensate people whose water had degraded. Dozens of residents later sued the company, and most of the lawsuits were settled. Two families whose cases went to trial were awarded $4.24 million by a jury this year. Cabot is appealing, saying methane found in their water was naturally occurring. Yes, of course, naturally occurring methane that was released when you drilled your fucking oil production well and released the methane into someone's drinking water well. Southwestern Pennsylvania was one of five case studies included in the EPA study released in draft form in 2015. Jesse and Shirley Eakins Well in Cross Creek Township was one of 16 sampled in the area. After analyzing the water in 2011 and 2013 and considering an array of reasons for its poor quality, the EPA didn't reach a conclusion about the cause of the contamination. Among the possibilities, natural sources, gas drilling, and coal mine drainage. In the Eakins case, the situation was clouded by the lack of pre-drill water testing, but Jesse Eakins said, quote, you can't have a pre-drilled test when you don't know when you don't know nobody's coming. Before significant drilling began in the area in 2008, he had tested only for bacteria, not pollutants commonly associated with fracking. In addition to the one filed by the Eakins, the DEP received at least six water-related complaints from Cross Creek Township in 2009. One resident reported water that looked like tea. Three others said their water flow had slowed to a trickle or stopped. Nineteen more complaints came in over the next few years. Some cases were settled privately with range resources. Others were closed after state inspectors decided the water wells were too far away from drilling to have been impacted. The DEP tracks all complaints in a system developed in the early 1990s, though it's working on an update. Most information about cases is still kept in paper form that the agency's regional offices at the agency's regional offices. 
In January, two Center for Public Integrity reporters visited the DEP office in Meadville in the northwestern part of the state to review complaints, consent orders, gas company correspondence, and other documents. The reporters were given incomplete case files, heavily redacted determination letters, and materials that were unresponsive to open records requests. The antiquated system has been the subject of several battles between the DEP, journalists, and environmentalists. It took the Scranton Times-Tribune a year to get access through a lawsuit to letters the department had sent between 2008 and 2012 to residents telling them whether their water had been impaired by the oil and gas activities. The DEP had argued that it couldn't provide the documents to the newspaper because it didn't know where they were kept. Later, the DEP told the investigative news outlet Public Herald that complaints were considered confidential because the department feared they would cause alarm. It took the outlet two years to obtain complaint documents for 17 of the 40 counties in the Marcellus Shale. In an analysis of more than 200 complaints, Public Herald identified the many ways cases were being closed prematurely or minimized. In some, the DEP claimed pre-drill tests proved that complainants' water had been bad all along. In fact, these tests had been done after drilling started. In others, it diverted complaints from the Office of Oil and Gas Management to divisions within the agency, such as the Environmental Cleanup Program. This kept the DEP from classifying the cases as energy-related. Pressure from environmentalist and Auditor General DePascal prompted the DEP to begin publishing positive determination letters informing recipients that their water had been affected by oil and gas activity online. To date, 279 such letters have been posted. Companies deemed responsible for damaging a water supply are legally required to replace or restore it. This is easier said than done. A new well might tap into the same unclean groundwater source as the old one. Filtration systems don't always remove every contaminant. Connecting homes to city water lines can cost tens of thousands of dollars. Ed and Karen Atwood, who live in Warren County in northwestern Pennsylvania, received a positive determination letter from the state more than three years ago. In November 2012, sand started coming out of the Atwood's showerhead. DEP tests found high levels of iron, manganese, and chlorides, all of which can be associated with oil and gas activity. In May 2013, the department ordered an oil well operator, Waste Treatment Corporation, to provide the Atwoods with a replacement water supply. For two years afterwards, the Atwoods received bottled water. They washed their clothes at laundromats and continued to bathe in their well water. By 2014, their home was still crowded with big blue bottles, and they were eager to be connected to the nearest city water line 830 feet away. Waste treatment agreed to pay on the condition that the Atwoods release the company from any past or future liability. They demurred. They sold their truck for $3,500 and convinced their bank to give them a $14,000 home equity loan, even though their poor water quality had lowered their property value. Quote, Mother just took all her life savings, Ed said of his wife. The couple still owes $1,105 on the loan and pays a monthly water bill of about $80. We went bare-assed because of the oil people. 
to pay for this city water, Ed said. Waste treatment representative Kelly Roddy said the company does its best to limit environmental impacts. She blamed the Atwoods ordeal on the DEP's notoriously slow process for resolving water complaints and the couple's decision to seek legal counsel. Last year, the DEP told the Atwoods that their water had returned to pre-drill quality and the waste treatment was no longer responsible for replacing it. But they still don't feel comfortable drinking it and won't recover what they've spent. Down in Washington County, the Eakins stopped using their well water for showers in late 2014, a year before they learned from the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry that it contained aluminum, iron, manganese, sodium, lead, and diethylexyl phthalate, a man-made chemical commonly added to plastics at levels of potential concern. The agency said residents faced a, quote, slight increased risk of developing cancer if they consumed the water for a lifetime. Earlier that year, Shirley had had surgery to remove a large tumor, quote, the size of a lime from her heart. The growths on her skin had gone away while she was at the hospital. Sitting in her living room in Rhee, she cried, remembering how she felt when the doctors told her she could go home. Quote, Am I going to be going home and bathing in that water again? She asked them. I said, I don't want to go home. And that'll wrap up this episode of Frack You Very Much. You can check out all the back episodes at frackyouverymuch.com. And you can follow on Twitter, FYVM Show. Here is 10,000 Maniacs with the song Poison in the Well. Thanks for listening.